Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream It is the Savage Nation. I ask today, do we need the unifying words of MLK Jr. today more than ever? Of course, the answer is built into the question. Of course we do. Now, hold on before you jump down my throat and tell me all the negatives. I've heard it all. But if you're going to go by the negatives of those things said about MLK Jr., why then they could go for Donald Trump as well? We can't judge a man by the negatives thrown at him, can we? Is any man perfect? So let's go to the high road. Let's stick to the high road, because as I said to you many years ago, if you take a man as he is, you make him worse. But if you uh, show a man how he could be, you make him better. And that goes for me. That goes for you. And of course, we know about the race hustlers who appropriated King's message for personal gain, notably Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton, two of the biggest race hustlers in history. We are not talking about those who have soiled the message of Martin Luther King Jr. I am talking about the beautiful words of MLK Jr. And today being Martin Luther King Jr. Day, whether you like it or not, it's a federal holiday. Banks are closed. Schools are closed. Many uh, uh, enterprises are closed. Do people even remember who he is? Do you think they know who he was? I may be the only one in the media who actually heard him speak live. And maybe others have. I don't know. I hope they did. But I was a young teacher in Manhattan. <laughs> In fact, I was teaching at Rhodes High School, if I remember correctly. I remember it to this day because it was near the Museum of Modern Art, and I used to love to go over to the museum during my lunch breaks and have a sandwich in the, in the I don't know, the, uh, whatever they had there. It was also around the corner from uh, Governor Rockefeller's offices on 53rd Street or 52nd Street. Uh, Rockefeller, as you well know, died in a uh, very interesting manner, which we will not talk about today. But I heard... King's speech in front of the UN. I went over there with hordes of people and I heard him speak. And I tell you, every fiber of my being was stirred. That man was some speaker. And I'll tell you what I also saw. I saw hatred like I've never seen in my life that scared me to my core. I must tell you, you know, don't think you can predict what I'm going to say because you can't. Because my life that I'm going to talk about, my views that I'm going to present, and of course, you want to put in your views, go ahead, make my day, 855-400-SAVAGE. So I heard 
I was a very young teacher. I graduated college at an early age. I taught when I was right out of uh, school. This was, I don't know what it was, what year I was out. And there he was, and he gave this speech. There was, a, I don't know, like a million people out there. Outside of that speech, on the perimeters of the crowd, out of 2nd Avenue came a mob of Irish drunks. I'll never forget it as long as I lived. I saw a bunch of drunks come out of an Irish bar. They scared the hell out of me. The hatred in their face, the hatred in their faces, the, the distortion of their faces toward King was something I had never seen before in my life. Now, of course, it's not limited to Irish nor to Irish drunks, which is a stereotype. In fact, the uh, drinking level amongst Irish in Ireland is about the lowest in Europe. So I'm talking about a time in history when he gave I Have a Dream speech right in front of the U.N. And I'm saying we do need the unifying words of MLK Jr. today more than ever. Do you think the Democrats would accept him? Can you imagine what Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren would say about Martin Luther King Jr. if they didn't know who he was and he gave such a speech today? They'd say he's not radical enough. He's not into a wealth, uh, wealth redistribution. He's not saying anything about women's rights, trans rights. Are you joking? Are you joking? You think MLK Jr. would talk about trans rights? So the left today is so off the mark in terms of their own ethos that they, uh, I don't know how they can win, but they could. Trump is suffering from low approval ratings despite his achievements, and it's very worrisome. And odds makers are saying he's at best a 50-50 chance to win a second term. I don't know whether I agree with that. Strong job market, decent economic growth, low gas prices, surging stock market, uh, fewer inmates in federal prisons, fewer combat deaths of U.S. troops. Good story to tell voters. But as Mr. Trump enters, enters his fourth year in office, an election year, a re-election year, do you know that his, his uh, approval ratings trailed those of Barack Obama and George W. Bush at this point? I didn't know that. It's a very interesting and, and sobering statistic. And Trump's numbers are good. I want to talk about him for a minute, if you don't mind. Uh, you want me to talk about Trump? I will. I think he's a tragic figure, by the way. I've come to actually understand that. I went to lunch with two smart men yesterday, two of the smartest men that I'm honored to know, two friends I've known since I began in radio, which is at least 25 years. Both of them are military men, and uh, we talked about many things, but the thing I like about intelligent people is we don't talk about trivia. And they talked about Trump being a tragic figure. Now, both of them are, are diehard Trump supporters, but they both think Trump is a tragic figure. Can you believe that? And uh, that, that's something to think about. Again, we can get ahead of ourselves if we want and project ahead if we want, or we can stick to this if you want, of how did Martin Luther King Jr. influence you? Did he? Is there anyone listening to this show who was influenced by the words of Martin Luther King Jr.? I was influenced by him. I was influenced by JFK as well. You know, when JFK gave his speech and he said, in the early 60s, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, I felt a certain steel go up my spine. It made me want to go out in the world and do something good for my country. It just shows you what the power of words are. It just shows you what a leader can do for a people. If they, I don't know who the speechwriter was for these two people, but think of the power of those words. 
You know, I have a dream. Uh, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. If you're young and you're an idealist, an impressionist, impressionable, it motivates you just as a, a good teacher would. So prophets motivate us as well. Religions can motivate us as well or demotivate us. They can de-enervate us religion. I don't want to go into that for a minute, but uh, that's a subject for maybe another time. But here we are talking about Martin Luther King Jr. I don't want to get into sanctimonious about it, but he is an important historic figure. Whether you like it or not is almost irrelevant. It is irrelevant whether you like it or not. It's a given fact that he's an historic figure in American culture, American history, and American society. So I would say to you, have you been influenced by Martin Luther King Jr.'s words and in what way? I would like to talk about that because it's a birthday in his honor. I understand that it's been commercialized. I understand it's over. It's overdone. I understand a lot of phonies ripped him off and made fortunes off him. There are people who made more fortunes off his words than he made himself, just as people uh, wrap themselves around the Constitution as though they wrote it themselves. Some phonies have made more money off the Constitution than the Founding Fathers. Founding Fathers never made any money off it. There are 14 carat phonies out there who have made more money off the Constitution than the Founding Fathers did. What are you going to do about it? Nothing. We just got to live with the hucksters and the real ones, like uh, Martin Luther King Jr., the real McCoy. Oh, I know all the stuff about the adultery and the plagiarism of the Ph.D. thesis. I know about his membership in the Communist Party. I know all about it. But it doesn't diminish from the overall message of the I have a dream speech. That's what I'm trying to tell you. All men have a multiplicity of, let us say, events, items, scandals in their background. But you don't judge a man by the scandals. You judge a man by the bigger picture just as I hope to be remembered for the bigger picture, not for the little picture. I hope to be remembered for some of my sayings. Liberalism is a mental disorder, but most importantly, borders language and culture. Who's Michael Savage? He's the man who defined the nation by the three words, borders, language, and culture. That's a pretty good statement. I hope to be remembered by things like that, not by the petty crap that people put up on Wikipedia or on Twitter. There's enough negative to be said about any man on earth because we are a multiplicity of things, all of us are. But what about the big picture? Martin Luther King Jr., the big picture is pretty clear. Great, inspiring leader. I remember when I was that young teacher in New York after that rally and I saw the hate on the faces of those guys. I remember getting in the subway to go home. I was living in Queens at the time. Of course, I couldn't live in Manhattan, but I didn't complain about it. I didn't ask the government to give me a, a, an apartment. I lived in an apartment in Queens. That's what I could afford as a young teacher. I didn't expect to be given a penthouse on, on Fifth Avenue like they do today. You know, oh, housing. Housing. If I didn't work, I would have slept in the gutter. So I worked. I always worked. But as I was going home after that rally, wow, was I stirred. But then there was another day, I remember, as a young teacher in New York. It was the day Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Boy, do I have memories of that. <clears throat> I didn't see any riots. I'll tell you what I saw. I saw young African-American girls on the subway car crying. 
and I saw them holding posters which said, Our king is dead. That's sort of what I remember. Did he touch you in any way? Should we focus on the positive or on the negative? Should we all have a dream together? Or shall we just wallow in the hatred of our times? I'm Michael Savage. I'll be back in a minute. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. You know, some products come along in podcasts and radio that you really love. Paint Your Life is one of them. I'm an amateur painter, but Paint Your Life is amazing. And when I heard that at PaintYourLife.com, you could have an original painting by a world-class artist done by hand from your photograph. I thought, wow, what a great idea. It must be so expensive because it's a live artist. But the truth is at PaintYourLife.com, you can have an original painting by a world-class artist done by hand from any photo at an affordable price. Listen to me. I love this product. If you want to give a truly meaningful gift, you've got to try PaintYourLife.com. Do you have an original painting of yourself, your children, your family, a special place, a cherished pet, here or in the next world? It's all at a price you can afford from PaintYourLife.com. This is a true painting. They're done by hand by a world-class artist created from a favorite photo. I had one done of Teddy and me. I took the original photo from my book, Teddy and Me. I sent it to them, and it came back as an oil painting. And really true to form, like the picture itself, like the photo. It's the perfect gift for birthday, anniversaries, or Valentine's Day. Not only that, you choose the artist whose work you most admire from a list of many of them. And you work with the artist throughout the process until every detail, you know, suits your demands. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded. It's great for decor because it's a work of art. With Paint Your Life, you get your favorite memories transformed into a work of art that will be cherished forever. It's a special gift for someone you love as well, or even for yourself. Now, here's the killer. Right now, as a limited time offer, get 30% off your painting. You heard me. 30% off any picture you send turned into an oil painting and free shipping. To get the special offer, text the word SAVAGE to 64000. That's S-A-V-A-G-E to 64000. S-A-V-A-G-E to 64000. SAVAGE to 64000. I promise you, you will love Paint Your Life. You will love what they do. Text SAVAGE to 64000. Text S-A-V-A-G-E to 64000. You will thank me. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. God, if you're not stirred by that, you're a dead person. If only for a minute people can erase their prejudgments, known as prejudice, prejudice prejudge. If only they can erase the part of the mind that says, well, I'm I, I moved by it, but I don't want to be. 
If only on the other side people can erase the anger and the hatred. And you owe me something. Oh, if only. But uh, we don't live in if-onlys, do we? We don't live in if-onlys. If-onlys. How did MLK Jr. influence you, I've asked. Because I think we need those words more than ever. And I think that the spirit and the words of MLK Jr. have been lost by the media and politicians trying to drive the country apart. I think Obama drove the country apart and set us back 50 years. I think this country was on the road to some kind of national reconciliation. And along came the greatest hustler in the history of the American political world, Barack Obama, who used his mixed race to peddle dissension and hate. But he did it so well that you didn't even know he was doing it. But has everyone forgotten that the message is larger than the man? Look at the message of MLK. Look at the message of Gandhi. These were imperfect men. Gandhi was also an imperfect man. And when the Hindus were moved, I mean, when the, when the Muslims were moved out of India to give, be given their own nation called Pakistan, carved out of India itself, that was an idealistic idea of Gandhi. One million people died on that march, both Hindus and Muslims. But we don't remember that. We shouldn't remember. We should remember the bigger message. Or do you disagree with me? Hmm? San Jose, Carl, welcome. Line 7, you're on the Savage Nation. What's on your mind? Michael, uh, the first thing I ever did political in my life, I grew up in San Rafael, is when he was killed, there was a big march between Berkeley and Oakland. And I went over there and marched in that thing. And later that summer, I became an organizer for a Peace and Freedom Party, putting Eldridge Cleaver on the ballot. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Would you vote for Eldridge Cleaver today after his years as a seamstress? Actually, he came. I was helping him. He wanted to run against Ron Dellums. <laughs> you know, Eldridge Cleaver became a different man as he got older, by the way. I remember Eldridge Cleaver put out a clothing line eventually, didn't he? He, he wisened up. You remember, uh, it was about 15 years ago I called you and... and uh, he, I got Cleaver to call into your show. And you oh, my God. Yes, I do. It was you who got him to call? That's amazing. I, I bet you we could pull that tape. I don't know. That's a great archival piece. So, yeah, no, no. He, he wisened up. He realized there was no money in, in revolution, and he decided to go into business and create the revolutionary clothing. He did. Have- he, 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 he's, he wisened up pretty good. Uh, yeah, but what about you? Are you still on the left? Where'd you go now? No, no, I was an I was an anarchist back then, you know. So now I I, I went for a little bit more government. So I'm a, I'm super conservative, you know. What I mean? <laughs> God. So what would we say you are? Is it is a conservative anarchist or an anarchist a conservative? Well, I left the anarchist part a long time ago. But my- <laughs> God, but don't you agree with me that Martin Luther King Jr.'s words can unify the nation if only we understood what he was saying? Big- he sure moved me. He sure moved me. Well, this is beautiful to be able to, on this day, a name in his memory, actually play his actual words. It's the miracle of electronics, don't you think? How many people are playing his words today? Uh, I haven't heard any yet. They've, I think they've forgotten his words. Michael Savage, a host like no other. We're less than a year now from Election Day 2020. This election is going to determine if America continues down the path of greatness or if America will spiral down 
into full-blown socialism at the hands of left-wing fanatics. But listen to me. We can't just sit back and wait for 2020. We need you to take action now. I want you to text SAVAGE to 88022, and you're going to get official Trump alerts directly to your phone. You just text SAVAGE to 88022, and you get exclusive 2020 updates directly from President Trump. Be the first to know when new Trump merchandise is available, and you'll even be able to give your input on key issues to help shape the 2020 campaign. Now, look, you know and I know if the Democrats take back the White House in 2020 under Pelosi, they'll not only undo everything we've worked so hard for, they'll destroy everything. Make sure you're getting your news directly from the source by texting S-A-V-A-G-E, that's SAVAGE, to 88022. Again, all you have to do is text SAVAGE to 88022. This was paid for by the Trump Make America Great Again Committee, a joint fundraising committee authorized and composed of Donald J. Trump for President, Inc., and the Republican National Committee that is dedicated to making America great again. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. Unfortunately, what has happened is that the leftists in our society have twisted the words of King, where they only want you to judge people by the color of their skin, not the content of their character. You look at occasional cortex, every other word out of her mouth is about Hispanic people. She's a Hispanic supremacist by every definition. And there are so many like her. What did King actually say? Judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Now, if it was a long time ago, I'm not going to complain about it now, but I was not judged by the content of my brain or the content of my character. I was judged by the color of my skin. I was denied 30, 40, 50, maybe more teaching positions because I was not the right color. I was not the right race. You know what that did to me to have my birthright stolen, the son of an immigrant, to have my birthright stolen by the ACLU and the left? The ACLU said, they said that some people will just have to put their futures on hold so that others may advance. That wasn't judging people by their character. It was judging them by the color of their skin. Now they want us to be judged by the, uh, I guess, our sexual nature. That's a new one now. Now it's the sexual nature, the color of the skin, the race, country of origin, upside down. Upside down. That's why I say to you today, it is more important than ever for me to play the actual words of Martin Luther King Jr. It is his birthday and talk about it. And uh, the hustlers like Sharpton. And uh, the other one, Jackson, who you don't see much anymore. I don't know where he went. 
Who ran to him? Remember after he was shot, who ran right up there? Wasn't it Jackson? He he cashed in right away. They made a good living off the off the uh, the, the whole thing. Now I haven't talked about the gun rally in communist-run Virginia. Uh, apparently, it's come and gone without a hitch. Thank God they didn't put a an agent provocateur into the crowd. Fine. Uh, I don't know if I want to get into the whole gun issue. Truthfully, I could. I mean, there's a nuance with guns for me. You know, want me to get into that? I could. In a minute, I will. Okay. San Francisco, Petri Line 4. Let's go to you, though. What's on your mind, Petri? Michael, I want to commend you, applaud, clap my hands for your opening monologue. That was fantastic. That was, that was one of those great written, well-written speeches that you've, you've had in a long time. That was a wonderful monologue. In well, addition to the samples of Martin Luther King's speech. It just- well, because, I look, I was alive. I, I was alive while he was alive, and I heard him speak live outside of the U.N. as a young a high school teacher. So believe me, I remember that day. It was, you know, it was like in my head. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I was born in the summer of love when Jimi Hendrix came back to the United States for the Monterey Pop Festival. So I'm not that old, but the legacy of those words, whenever you hear it, at whatever age you hear it, the conviction in it. It's interesting to me that on this day, I don't hear this being played today on radio. Do you? Oh, I heard Armstrong and Getty play some. Oh, good for them. They're great guys. I'm glad they did. Oh, yeah, they're, yeah. They're great guys. They have, they have good vision. I've always liked them. Terrific guys. Well, I think his words need to be played to bring us together, not to drive us apart. And that we need to remember that we should be judged by our character, not by the color of our skin or our sexual orientation or our country of origin. Unfortunately, uh, those ideals have been lost. Tavares in Georgia. Tavares, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your, pronouncing your name. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Kies Custodos. Ipso Custodos. Yep. You will, President Savage. Waters. Who will watch the watchers, right? You, you will, President Savage. Waters language culture. Dr. King could have not imagined the ignorance, the stupidity, the buffoonery in which has overtaken the American people. But President Savage, you are the illuminating light for those of us who are looking for answers to the questions of how do we get into this darkness. President Savage, if, if Donald Trump, President Donald J. Trump, doesn't come back to the Savage Nation and take calls and talk to you live, he's not going to be reelected, President Savage, because you are the one who schooled him, who educated him, who gave him his whole platform. <laughs> I'm sorry to agree with you, but it's true. I was told by, Je- by uh, Steve Bannon Shortly after the election, he said, we read all your books and we boiled them down for the speeches. President Savage, it's, it's, it's clear, as, clear as day. He sat at your feet as I sat at your feet as millions of, of other listeners sit at your feet and listen to your intelligence, your rough, your rugged, your rawness, your masculinity. President Savage, it's you who, who has given us Donald Trump. And if Donald Trump doesn't come back home... He's not going to be reelected because. Well, I, you know, Tavares, I don't know what to say about that. He called me personally on my own iPhone a week ago. Yes. And, and, and no, we talked 12, 15 minutes. It was very personal. I didn't say, can you please come on the show? They know I want him on the show. But I think that the very same, I think the speaking of this issue specifically, there are forces within his own campaign that are rejecting my audience again. They're making a huge error. Because he needs every vote he can get. I don't know who it is who's pulling 
uh, him in that direction. I have no idea who it is, but I know some people, again, are telling him to steer clear of the savage nation. I agree. Thank you so much, President. Well, no, thank you, Tavares. That's beautiful. What a call that was. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the Savage States of America. What else do you want me to talk about? From I have a dream to I have a scheme, then I'm going to get negative. I don't want to go negative. I'd rather go to the light rather than to the darkness. Do you understand what I'm trying to do today? It's very challenging in talk radio to go there. You must understand the pressure we are under, whether we do a two-hour show or a three-hour show to stay positive and on message for all those hours without going negative because there's so much negative out there. And so, yeah, we could go on the negative and talk about those who've ripped off at the I Have a Dream speech. And what's that going to get us? All we're going to do is complain to each other about it. Uh, but I, I don't know. Is there anything that gives you hope for the future of America or faith in mankind? I'm not so sure about progress, per se. If you want me to give you a little mini lecture on progress, in the sense I'm not a progressive because I don't believe there's necessarily prog- progress in society the way many of us do think. Yes, I mean, there's technical progress and all of that, medical progress for sure. I myself am a product. My life is in the hands of of medical progress. If it wasn't for medical progress, I probably wouldn't be here right now. You understand that? Whether it's going back to when I was a little kid and suffering from an infection and some antibiotic was used to keep me from dying. Uh, Modern medicine has saved me several times, including recently. So, yeah, there's progress in terms of uh, advancements in medicine. But what about progress in terms of man's spirit? Has man's spirit progressed? Has it? I mean, uh, what are we living through right now? That It's a very dark period in American politics. So again, you know, maybe you want me to go into what we talked about at lunch yesterday, my two intelligent friends, both military men and both so knowledgeable. I sat there, and I don't usually sit through a lunch without talking. I sat and learned because they're both so knowledgeable about the world. And when they said that Trump is a tragic figure, I had to put down my fruit salad, you know, for a minute and my cup of tea and listen very carefully. What do you mean Trump is a tragic figure? What did you mean by that? And then uh, one of the gentlemen who I had lunch with, and I I don't want to read their names and uh, all of that stuff, but uh, one of them said, well, look at the, the Greek mythology, hubris, chaos, nemesis. You'd think I would have known that. I didn't. Hubris leads to chaos, which leads to nemesis. And they explained to me the, the cycle, the Greek cycle, Greek drama, Greek tragedy. Boy, we all know what hubris is. Every politician suffers from it. But, you know, as much as I support Donald Trump, can you disagree that the man is filled with hubris? Jim, we support him 100%. At least, well, say a certain percent. We don't like the boom, the blasting uh, budget going out of control. We don't like those things. I mean, you know, that's a terrible story that we won't talk about. Uh, the, uh, the the debt, he's expanded and piled up debt. He had a $3.254 trillion over three years. But Obama beat him. Obama had $4.596 trillion added in his first three years. Did you know that? And maybe it's a product of our times. You have to pay off the electorate. You have to give them stuff, free drugs, free this, free that. Gas prices adjusted for inflation, 
are only slightly higher than they were 20 years ago. That That's amazing. Stock market, in which I don't have 10 cents, is up more than 45%. Boy, I wish I'd put money into Apple 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Uh, the th- federal prison population, which three years into the Obama years was surging past 215,000 people, is down below 150,000 inmates under Trump. Uh, so Trump is nearing 7 million more jobs. But having said all of that, the man has low approval ratings despite his achievements. So you could say, well, that's because of the evil media. That's because of them constantly ripping him and attacking him. And certainly there's truth in that. But if you also, if you see that, fine, which is true. But if you don't see that the abrasive nature of his personality has also engendered a high degree of this rage against him, then you don't see the truth. Now, I'm the same type of personality, less abrasive than him these days, but nevertheless, the same exact personality. I, I, tend, I, I tended to like to provoke people into reaction, by the way. It's how I was raised. I was raised in a family where we all competed with each other. That's how we compete. We did that in order to get somewhere in life. You know, some families are raised, not raised by Mr. Rogers. I was raised by uh, Mr. Derision, not by Mr. Rogers. No matter what I did, I was wrong. I never could do right. And it made me a little uh, angry, a little bitter, but it also made me work real hard. My father used to say things to me like, you know, Michael, if you take a little wire and you heat it up and put it into an oyster, what do you think you create with it? I don't know. What did I know about oysters? You create a pearl because you irritate the oyster. So he liked to irritate me thinking he would create pearls. Well, you could say he succeeded. Maybe I just would have been an ordinarily lazy guy. Maybe I don't know what. Who knows what? Playing an accordion in a bar somewhere in Cleveland. I don't know. Nothing wrong with that if you're a good accordion player and you want to work for uh, tips. But I was driven. I was driven by the constant derision, scorn, challenges, and I became that kind of personality. I'm a little different today. I'm much different, actually, than I was in the near few in the near past because of the way I've decided to survive. I have to be more centrist in my emotional rea- relationship to my audience and to the world. Have you noticed that I'm not as agitated as I have been in the past? You know why? Because I don't have to be. I can walk around the bases now. I don't have to run around them like the Johnny-come-latelys. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. It is the Savage Nation. Thanks for us. In the next hour, I'm going to talk about what I mentioned before to you, hubris and uh, chaos and the nemesis. And I'm going to ask you, who is Trump's nemesis? Well, we know that that's Nancy Pelosi. But who is the nemesis of Nancy Pelosi going to be? That's the question that I'm waiting to be answered. Michael in Oakland, line four. Go ahead, please. What's on your mind? Michael, I just wanted to tell you how good it was to hear you describe that your, your change and how you... Uh, how you're conducting, you're, you're saying that you're more centrist. And I I don't know if anyone noticed that, but I just noticed a while ago you tuned yourself slightly differently. You're funnier. You're more fluid. You're not as caustic at times. You know, there were times where as much as it hurt me, I had to kind of turn the radio off for a few minutes. That never happens anymore. You're, uh, hmm. you're like a shrug. Well, that's because God almost turned me off. That's 
Uh, it seemed like it happened when the change with your pro- yeah, December fifth. God hit the off switch. I had I had a I had a little incident on December fifth where the off off switch was hit, and uh, we don't know. You know, when the off switch is put back to on, we don't know how long it's going to be on, do we? No, no, no. No, but you see, it goes to a more universal question. There's not a human being alive at any age who doesn't, with one breath, know if they're going to make the next breath. See, that's the ultimate That's the ultimate religious experience, is to recognize how fragile life is and how there is a higher power that drives our life force. That's the point I'm trying to make and how precious it really is. In the next hour, hubris, nemesis, chaos, and Donald Trump. The Westwood One Podcast Network. Fans of the spoken word, welcome. This is a podcast. Greetings, pod recipients. You are entering the Savage Nation. Read the book. See the movie. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. Yeah. Let's pause right there. Today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It's a day that we all remember him. Whether or not you remember him or not is uh, your business, but uh, he's a part of the American social and cultural fabric. And despite all of the flaws, which we all have, I heard all the stories, his words will live forever. I have a dream speech particularly And he said, judge a man by the quality of his character, not the color of his skin. Unfortunately, uh, the radical left has hijacked his words and his meaning and turned it into something entirely the opposite of what he intended. So I want to talk a little bit more about that in this hour. And we're going to go to the gun rally thing in the second part of the hour. The whole issue of gun control. Do we need it at all or not? Or should should you be able to own a machine gun, for example? I mean, how much gun does a man need? Should it be unlimited? I know the whole story, back and forwards, up and down. I know the dangers of a government that gets out of control. But I also know about the dangers of a citizenry that gets out of control, by the way. And I want to talk about that in this hour. But first, I want to go back to what my friends instructed me about yesterday, Hoover's Chaos Nemesis. And as I said to you in the last hour, uh, what, what is Hoover's, first of all? Foolish pride, dangerous overconfidence, right? And and that usually brings about the downfall of that person or the perpetrator of hubris through Nemesis, who is Nemesis is the goddess of Ramnus, the goddess who enacts retribution against those who succumb to hubris, which is arrogance before the gods. Now, any man or any woman, any person who achieves anything in this world is filled with hubris, just to dare to stand up on the stage of life. 
and show yourself, make something of yourself, you could say is hubris. And you could say eventually you're going to fall, which is true. We all fall. And we don't have to joke about it. Inevitably, we all fall. But you look at the stage, the world stage today, you could say, well, Trump is loved by 50% and despised by 50%. And you could say the reason he's despised amongst those 50% is because uh, amongst the high percentage of them, they want socialism, which would be true. But amongst that 50% of those who despise Trump are those who don't really care about those things. They don't like his, his arrogance. They don't like arrogant leaders. Now, Obama was a very clever man. He was as filled with hubris as anyone I've ever seen, but he never exhibited the hubris or the arrogance that would invoke rage in people. He was very smart about it. Now, to make a jump cut to television, I'm watching a series on TV, which I think I've seen before. I don't know if I've seen it, called El Chapo, about one of the great, powerful, maniacal drug lords of Mexico who's now in federal prison. And the reason I'm fascinated by it is because he was in business with the government of Mexico. One thing about this series that's so profoundly interesting to me is the the fact that the government of Mexico is willing to let this drug lord, El Chapo, sell drugs, destroy drugs, decimate all of his rivals, so long as he didn't challenge them. But the minute he challenged the government of Mexico, they made a decision with the DEA they had to bring him down. They could not permit him to become more powerful than the government itself. Hubris. And so then what happened? He created so much chaos in his hubris that the goddess of Ramnus in Greek religion, Nemesis, appeared. And she sought retribution against him. Now, what does it have to do with anything? Well, I don't know. You can tie it to anything you want. You could argue that Trump has exhibited great hubris. He's instilled great chaos in the nation amongst a, a big portion of the population, which is what he intended to do. He wanted chaos. He wanted to break up the old world order. He wanted to so-called clean the swamp, straighten things out. But it didn't go exactly the way he planned because the, quote, deep state, which is the establishment, the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, they were all against him. And they became his punisher. And uh, you stooges like Schiff and Nadler, but they're the stooges. They're nothing. They're the messenger boys. But the real power behind it all, you don't really see. Nancy Pelosi is very interesting from a philosophical point of view, because you could say she is Trump's nemesis, and I would agree with you. But I'd like to know who her nemesis is going to be. She is exhibiting the greatest hubris I've ever seen, by the way, for the longest period of time without any nemesis appearing. We all know she has baggage. Everybody knows that who knows her. Why is there no retribution to her uh, hubris? I'd like to know. Well, I don't know the answer to that because I have to wait and see how it plays out. But we're talking about the issue of politics today, which is one of the most interesting sciences there is, if you want to call it science. You're listening to The Savage Nation, which is the number one graduate school of political science in the world, where every student is ungraded and you will get an A. So if you care to call on any of these topics, including uh, Martin Luther King's message, the phone number is 855-400-SAVAGE, 855-400-7282. I asked you in the last hour, 
uh, did JF did, did um, MLK Jr.'s words influence you in any way? They influenced me, as did uh, um, Kennedy. Kennedy, I told you, put a certain, he put me on the road uh, of wanting to do something great for the country. And I've tried to do that my whole life in some ways, while thinking, of course, for myself, because if I am not for myself, who will be? Uh, if I'm only for myself, who am I? And one of the great sayings of all time from a Jewish sage named the Rambam, Maimonides, in the, in the 11, 1200s, he wrote, if I am not for myself, who will be? If I'm only for myself, who am I? I mean, nobody wrote it better than that. I always remember that one. Of course, you got to be for yourself. Of course, you got to look out for number one, but not to the exclusion of everything else on the planet, because then you become uh, an individual that will eventually be punished, as sure as I am standing here. So let's go to the callers, 855-407-282, Savage Nation, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, January 20th, 2020, I Have a Dream. Uh, do you have a dream? California Jerry Line 1, welcome to the Savage Nation. I'd like to say it's a pleasure to, to uh, talk to you this morning. I'd like to say that I have something in common with you. I experienced death twice on June 10th and was resuscitated by a defibrillator in my chest. Anyway, wow. um, the, MLK and, the MLK and JFK quotes were very meaningful for me. In 1963, I was selected to be a participant in the University People to People Student Ambassador Program with training by the State Department for Cultural Differences. Hmm. And we, we were sent to Brussels for additional training. And I spent um, three days with a family in Brussels. And the first night, we were watching TV together, and they showed Birmingham and the protesters being shot down the street by fire hoses and the dogs unleashed on them. And they asked me, they asked me to explain it, and I couldn't. I mean, it was so, it was so unbelievable during that period of time to see what was going on, you know, in the South and the civil rights movement itself. And then I was also moved by the quotes that you, you mentioned about, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And uh, the next, you know, in 1964, when I graduated, I joined the Peace Corps and was sent to a remote village in um, Columbia on a solo assignment. I was the only Peace Corps volunteer in the entire state that I was in. I lived with a family, uh, no electricity, no running water, you know, a uh, very primitive situation. Jerry, did you say Colombia, the nation of Colombia? The, the nation of Colombia, correct. Wow. How did you survive that? <laughs> you know, it was very character building. I learned a lot about how to survive. And the family, the family treated me like I was one of them. They had uh, seven kids. Um, and I didn't speak English for almost two years. Uh, and as a result... Um, I ended up uh, deciding that I wanted to be a Spanish teacher, and that led to my career in teaching. And my most recent experience teaching was teaching um, uh, citizenship classes to um, immigrants in uh, San Luis Obispo County. And so I've always spent my whole life, you know, working on trying to help others just like you. And uh, those quotes meant a lot to me. Wow, that's quite a soliloquy you just gave us, Jerry. Quite a soliloquy. And I guess the the point is, is that, yes, you were moved by Martin Luther King Jr.'s words. And, yes, you were moved by uh, JFK's words, as was I. And I think that was the purpose of the call. And I certainly thank you. I want to correct uh, one one mistake. People may think I was not resuscitated by a resuscitator because I didn't have the same experience. But uh, it's a different story. I don't want to go into it because it's too self-indulgent. 
uh, all I can say to you is uh, here we are. It's a new world, and life is precious. And I have decided to use every breath on the radio for the common good. How's that? Now, if I slip and fall once in a while, you'll have to forgive me because I'm an imperfect man. If I did one show a week, for example, and I only had to do five minutes, it would be it would be seamless, it would be perfect, and you would be uh, unable to, to, to just, you just couldn't do anything with it. But if you do a long-form show of two hours a day uh, with a couple of days off here and there, you're going to make statements that people say, wait a minute, uh-oh, you said this, you said that. I've done this for 25 years. Uh, have I said things over the years I regret? Not really. I've said things over the years that I shouldn't have said, but I don't regret them. How's that? That work for you? No, I wouldn't redo it another way. And I could go back to every last one of them. Am I sorry? Do I apologize? No, I won't. I'm not going to get on my hands and knees and say I'm sorry. Things were said at the time because that's what had to be said. In the context in which they were said, they made sense. If you take something out of context, you say, oh, he's a bad guy. He's a this, he's a that. You know, you could redefine people any way you want by taking them out of context. So let's stay within the context of today's program and try to celebrate the powerful meaning of uh, MLK Jr.'s words. And again, before I take the first break, if you missed the opening monologue of the show of my standing there in UN Plaza and hearing uh, Martin Luther King Jr. speak, then the hatred on the face of the drunk Irish coming out of the bar, uh, I think you need to hear it, and it's on my podcast today. I don't want to repeat myself. But again, one of the lasting images of my life was the day he was assassinated when I was a strap hanger going home from a teaching job or whatever I was doing, and I saw the young African-American girls in tears on that subway car. I mean, I'll never forget it. It's like engraved in my mind. I didn't feel that. They did. That's what I came to understand. There were several different Americas. When I saw them crying with the signs that said, our king is dead, I knew right then and there that I was different than them. There was no one America. There were several Americas. There will always be many Americas. It will never be one America, except one America under God with liberty and justice for all. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. I'm so turned off by impeachment, I will never eat peaches again. I don't even like the word peach anymore. That's how uh, I don't listen to it. I can't. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you folks do this. They're like salivating CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, impeachment with a clock. This is the big thing in your life. Okay, hey, to each his own. <laughs> to each his own. Today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, okay? So I think it's a good day to talk about his words, his meaning. Go take the high road, forget the negative. I heard it all the socialist, the communist, the plagiarism, the cheater. I, heard, I know it all. But we don't judge a man by the negatives. We judge a man by the big picture, by the big legacy. Otherwise, what we become is like an anti-Trumper. These people don't want to judge Trump by what he's done for this country. They only want to look at the negatives. And they're deranged. So please don't become deranged about Martin Luther King Jr. and tell me all the things that we know. Because every man has his flaws. Everyone has the frog. From Prince Harry to Prince Harry and... Uh, one generation, look what happened to that jerk. Boy, was I right when I did a show and he married down. Boy, did he screw his life up. He married a girl from the movie business, a TV soap opera star, and she wrecked him. 
You take a thousand year tradition like that and you throw it out the window to go to Hollywood. You're not going to tell you what's going to happen with them. They'll be at every party for the 390 months, six months, three, six months. I guarantee you, Prince Harry will be at every party with the Megan, Megan Marbles. Every party in Brentwood, every party in Hollywood, they're going to have to have the prince and the princess. And then how long will it be till they throw them away like yesterday's toy? And then what are they going to do? I don't know. I'm sure they can capitalize on it with some T-shirts or thongs or something like that. But uh, look what a man does when he makes a mistake like this. This kid was never that smart to begin with. Anyway, here we are. Let's take some callers uh, on the King story, if you'd like. Oh, well, actually, uh, at the turn of the hour, we're having a great guest on the gun story. We have a guy from Breitbart, A.W.R. Hawkins. He's an expert on the Second Amendment. And the gun rally today, which, thank God, didn't evolve into some shooting or some... They didn't put in a Jean provocateur to make believe they were a member of a of the gun rights group when they were really a member of the government. Thank God that didn't happen. That's a good thing. But I really think we ought to talk about guns today or another day. I grew up in New York, as I've told you before, and the only reference today is that I was always fascinated by guns, whether they were cap guns or Daisy BB guns or twenty two rifles. I was on the rifle team with the Mossberg 22s in the basement of my high school. I can smell the gunpowder to this day. No one ran through the halls and shot anybody. No one shot themselves in the mouth. Nobody, ever, ever. There was not one incident in the history of the New York City rifle teams. So what happened? Drugs came along. Insanity came along. It wasn't the guns. It was the insanity, the drug. Okay, but there was a thing called the Sullivan Law. You could not own a handgun in New York unless you were a cop, a detective, or something like that. Nobody had handguns. And most of the criminals didn't have handguns. There was the occasional shooting here and there. But uh, we knew that organized crime had access to guns. But if they were caught with a gun, they were put in jail immediately. So organized criminals, the top guys never carried a gun. They had their button men carry the guns for them. Now look, everyone has a, a gun in their pocket. And look what's going on in the cities today. Is that something you want to live with? Don't we have to talk about this? No? Michael Savage, a host like no other. Uh, we'll turn to guns and the rally today in a minute with a great guy, Dr. A.W.R. Hawkins. But, you know, I was talking about Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy for two hours, an hour and a half now. And sure enough, true to form, on King Holiday 2020, Democrats march arm in arm to honor his legacy. And here comes the most hateful piece of crap America has ever seen in its political history, this rat bum piece of garbage, Delhi man from Brooklyn, Bernie Sanders, a man who never should have been born, again attacking on a day like today, and he says, if we do not allow Trump and his friends to divide us up by the color of our skin, or where we were born, or our sexual orientation or religion, if we stand together, there is nothing we cannot accomplish in the fight for racial justice, social justice, said Mr. Sanders the communist scum. So they took, again, a holiday that should have been above politics and turned it into the gutter. This is what I was trying to tell you for 90 minutes. Do you understand who these people actually are? I hope so. Now let's turn to the topic of the gun rally today. We have uh, Dr. A.W.R. Hawkins, Ph.D. in military history, great subject, from Breitbart today on the Second Amendment. 
Dr. Hawkins, I presume. Welcome to the Savage Nation. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, I certainly must return it by saying Dr. Savage. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, you could say Dr. Savage, I assume or I presume. But yes, that's nice. Let's not be presumptuous here, Dr. Hawkins. You're an expert in military history. You write for Breitbart News. You write for Amoland Shooting, uh, PhD in military history from Texas Tech. You're awarded the Journalist of the Year 2015 by the Second Amendment Foundation. So you're totally into the gun, the gun world. What was this rally about today? Uh, well, the rally was about, it's, it's kind of, the, the focus of the rally was actually so narrow, it's kind of non-climactic, uh, because the focus was uh, to show up and support the Second Amendment. Now, you wouldn't know that uh, watching CNN, MSNBC, listening to Michael Bloomberg-funded gun control groups, or Governor Northam. You would have no idea that was the case. But the purpose of the rally was to support Second Amendment rights, number one. Number two, to oppose uh, the gun controls currently being pushed by the Democrat majority. Democrats have a majority uh, across the board in Virginia for the first time in over 25 years. And uh, and so the rally was also meant to show opposition to that. And that's about it. There's not any. What, what are some of the gun control laws that the Dems are pushing? Well, uh, well, they're pushing a licensing scheme for AR-15s. That would be mandated. Uh, and they are very open. The bill, anybody who wants to read it can read it, is HB House Bill 961. HB 961 uh, will require you to get a license from the state police in order to keep your AR-15. They're very open that they're going to use the licensing process to create a registry, there will be a da- they they won't use the word registry, but you tell me what this is. They are open that they're going to create a database of the gun owners via the licensing process. Now, if that's not a registry, a registry has never existed. But that's what they're going to do. They also want to ban quote unquote high capacity magazines. I always like to say what that means. They want to ban eleven round magazines. Ten round magazines are right. 11, 11 round magazines have to go. But wait, do, do you think do you think the average man needs a drum magazine with with hundreds of rounds in it? Well, I'm, I'll tell you what. Uh, that is that is a uh, the average man needs whatever the average man needs to remain free, and the average man needs whatever the average man needs to remain the average man, and. Uh, if you are a homeowner in Florida last year, I covered twice when the door was kicked in and there was, in one case, five armed people. I believe two more were in the car. In another case, there were three armed people. I also just covered one recently in Houston where there were three armed people. Now, if you're going to break in my home and all three of you are armed or all five of you, even if, even if every one of you only has a quote-unquote 10-round magazine, that's 50 rounds coming against me. So I'm going to tell you that in that situation, I wouldn't mind having a 50-round drum. wouldn't mind having two of them. Maybe I should go out and get one now. I didn't know I needed one. Well, what I'm just saying is, you know. In California, I'm lucky I could have a peace shooter. Right. Yeah, in California. And the governor governor Newsom, he'll take away slingshots if he could. Well, I wouldn't give him any ideas. but (laughs) Stop it. We start basing things on what we want. Or excuse me, we begin to say, well, does someone really need? When someone asks that question, I always know that person, in a rare sense, is an inquisitor. And that's very rare when they use that phrase, and they're a true inquisitor. Most of the time, that's a setup. 
and they're trying to get you to come along their position that no one needs more than 10 rounds. And see, then what happens is you go to New York, and they say no one needs more than seven rounds. And pretty soon it's pretty easy to say no one needs a semi-automatic. And that's kind of where we are right now with the Democrat Party. Mm. Well, they are the gun grabber party, and they're terrified of guns. Generally, they're gunophobic. And uh, I have to keep reminding them that guns save lives. It's always a cop or somebody with a gun, like the FBI agent in that church a few weeks ago who stood up and killed the intruder. So I totally understand this completely. But I don't think the average person understands that. I think the, the ones who are gunophobic, they're just afraid of guns. They won't have them in their house because they're afraid they themselves will turn that gun on themselves or someone in their family will. Uh, right. AW. That's what it is. They're afraid of guns because they don't trust themselves. Right. And that's part of the rhetoric of the left, too. You know, and you know this. You're, you're, I'm telling you your business now, which I don't want to do. I don't want to talk about what, you're so, what you excel at, at discussing. But, you know, you, you see the left do this with the way they've handed, handled our culture, our education, the way news is fed to us via the establishment media. And what they do is they, they beat us down, and we've accepted as, as a given things that aren't, aren't a given at all. And, we, you know, there's been a, there's been a Michael Bloomberg-funded study that's gone around for years, maybe decades, about how if you have a gun in the house, odds are you'll end up killing yourself rather than killing an intruder. You can't find anything to substantiate that. When you look at real numbers, sir. You know, I've seen lots work for years on, on guns save lives. I've seen the, the data. The exact opposite is true. Bloomberg's a complete liar. He's surrounded by armed bodyguards. He's like Diane Feinstein and the rest of these, these demagogues. They're all surrounded by, by bodyguards with arm to the teeth. They want you to walk around with nothing. I know, I know how this works. By the way, were you at the rally today in, uh, in, in, in Virginia? Did you see Alex Jones with his tank? I covered it today. Uh, I covered it today from a distance. because Where I- did Alex Jones get his armored vehicle? Are those available for sale? I'd like to get one. Well, it depends on what state you're in, if you can get them or not. I know I live in Arizona, and yes, sir, you can get That's not any big feat. Uh, living in Texas, it wouldn't be any big feat. But what, what is this vehicle he was driving? That's an expensive piece of uh, automobile craftsmanship there. What is that thing? Did you know what it was? I didn't see the one he had with him today, but to get a personnel carrier or something like that, you're going to spend quite a bit of money. Uh, well, good. Alex really put on a, a, quite a show today. Uh, I admire him. You know, he's... He's got the attention on him now with the armored personnel carrier. Every man should have one. I mean, does a man need an armored personnel carrier? Well, in San Francisco, yeah. You need windows that are shatterproof. That's to start with. Uh, Maybe that would be the solution is make shatterproof cars and shatterproof windows in uh, Nancy Pelosi's backyard. Who do you think came out on top today with this rally? looks to me like the crowds did. Would you agree with that? Uh, Yeah, I think the Second Amendment came out on top because there wasn't the divisiveness, or I should say the violence that Governor Northam was just hoping for. That the- you know, I last night I, I tweeted, look out for an agent provocateur. I was terrified yeah. that the, the evildoers would put someone in the crowd, dress them up as a member of a gun rights organization, and go on a rampage. Thank God they didn't do that. I mean, I, we got to look at the, the, the good news is I think the crowd looked very good. Yeah, and if you look at, like, we covered at Breitbart, if you look at Stephen Williford, who was the November 5, 2017 hero who stopped that Texas shooting with an AR-15. You know, he was at the rally, and he spoke, or he took part, and, uh, you know, he said, look, he said, it's none of my government's business what kind of gun I use. 
to defend myself, my family, and my friends. And he said, and see, this is a man speaking from experience, sir. He said, if I hadn't had an AR-15, I would have been at a tremendous disadvantage. And he told how the attacker had readied himself to face somebody with an AR-15. The attacker had Class Three body armor on, all mm. kinds of things. But, but this gentleman was able to spot the weakness to shoot a seam, a seamed area. And no, wait, wait. Where was this? Where, where did this occur? I don't know. Where was the shooting? This was the Sutherland Springs shooting in Texas, November 5th, 2017. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, and you had this gentleman. This gentleman is so mild-mannered and so humble. You remember this gentleman. He ran from his home to the church with an AR-15 in one hand, uh, a magazine of bullets in the other, and he was barefoot. But he hurt. Look, AWR, I want to say this. I've been on record for 20 years that everyone should go into a church who is ca- capable of it with a with the weapon. Legal, go in with one. Yep. A good synagogue, go in with a gun. Yep. That's all. You're going to get crazy people attacking poor people in churches and synagogues. You've got to be ready to protect yourself. The police cannot be everywhere at all times. I agree with you 100%. Now, but I understand something else is happening sociologically, which is that the left... And the right have come together on gun rights, haven't they? In many places, you're right. Now, you, and I know your listeners know, uh, your listeners have acute knowledge of these kinds of things, but, you know, you have the, the hard left. They'll never, they'll never come together. But people who somehow lean left, maybe because Meemaw and Peepaw were Democrats or because Ma and Paul were Democrats, and they lean left and they're still reasonable. People, people like that come together on guns. And you were talking earlier, sir, about how people who have guns don't want guns in their home because they're, they're frightened of them. That's the case with a lot of Democrats. And then they'll get a gun. And once they get the gun, they fall in love with shooting. And once that happens, as you say, there is a lot of coming together instead of a lot of coming apart. And people are literally united under the banner of gun ownership under the banner of concealed carry. This is not a political statement, but it says a lot about what we're talking about. Under Barack Obama, during his last two years in office, women, and and I'm not saying that because Mm. we're women, I'm talking Democrats to Republican. I'm just making a point. Mm. Women acquired concealed carry permits at twice the rate of men. Good for them. Establishment media would never let you know that, but my point is people come together. Under the banner of guns. You know, he, I'll make a simple statement. The day Dianne Feinstein and Nancy Pelosi give up their armed secret service or bodyguards, uh, then come and talk to me about me giving up my right to bear arms. We're speaking today with great man, A.W.R. Hawkins, doctor to you. He's an expert in the Second Amendment. He writes for Breitbart News and Amoland Shooting. Dr. Hawkins, thanks for being with us today on The Savage Nation. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. It is the uh, Savage Nation, so I, I, we did a nice job today. Martin Luther King Jr. was a good show. I think it's a great monologue that I did. If you missed it, it'll be on the on the podcast. I want to conclude by talking about the new killing virus coming out of China that is more deadly than Bernie Sanders, more pervasive, more deadly, just as secretive, just as silent as Bernie Sanders. But it's no joke. In a sane nation, of course, there'd be a quarantine. No visitors from China for the next three months. But, hey, you got to put the almighty dollar ahead of everything else. So, you know, let them in and say, oh, yeah, we're, we're with the CDC. We're going to screen. We're going to screen people at SFO and LAX. Yeah, a lot of good that's going to do you. How are you going to know if the person's 
uh, preclinical with a screening. You're not going to know. They could be carrying the virus, be be preclinical, and then go to somewhere in America and start shedding viruses wherever. So I personally, this is a bad one. This could be a very bad one. And uh, if you look at the history of the flu in the world, just going from generically speaking about viruses to the flu, uh, the flu of 1918 killed, what, 20 million people? It could happen again. You know, nature has a strange way of uh, catching mankind off guard just when we least expect it and just when we get... Again, going back to my story of hubris, just we think, ah, we can control it. Ah, we can treat it. No, you can't treat it. There's no treatment for it, by the way, like most viruses. So what is the answer? I don't have an answer for you other than uh, don't go to China for a couple of months, maybe until the springtime when it blows over. But something's odd here. There used to be a thing called the Asian flu. Then that became politically incorrect. You couldn't say Asian flu anymore because it was too specific that it started in Asia. So they renamed it something else. But this would not be the first time that a so-called influenza-like virus uh, originated in the, uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the continent of Asia. So we don't know where this is going to lead. Common sense would tell me what I'm going to do. Unfortunately, I can't go to Chinatown for the next few months here in San Francisco. Call me what you want. But you could also call me protective of my survival. I don't know who's working in those restaurants. I don't know how many people will be visiting uh, San Francisco during the Lunar New Year. Do you? How many of them are subclinical? Do you know? No. So common sense would say stay away from certain areas. Now, okay, you don't want to hear it, but I do want to hear it. And uh, this is a little worrisome because these things have a way of spreading, and it's now spreading from China to Singapore, to Japan, cases are breaking out in in Korea. So we got something here to watch out for. And I don't think our immune systems are capable of defending us very well against yet a new strain of virus that could be very deadly. Now in Korea, cases are tripling, can spread between humans. Beijing is saying no need to panic. Uh, The CDC is scanning plane passengers. And of course, they should be. And people should be asking about this. Uh, certainly, as I say, there is a time and a place for everything, including quarantine. Oh, sorry, the SARS-like virus, which is spread between humans. 14 doctors caught the killer infection after treating patients. Did you know any of that? The coronavirus struck 222 people in Asia, most of whom have been in Asia. Uh, source of the virus was animals at a seafood market. Most of the patients had worked or visited one in the city of Wuhan, China. However, two patients in southern China have not visited Wuhan. But we do know that the virus is deadly, SARS-like, can pass from person to person. Be aware, open your eyes, and don't be shocked if a mini-quarantine is not put in place in the next 30 days, even by our own CDC. Thanks for listening. This is The Savage Nation. Visit me online at michaelsavage.com. The Westwood One Podcast Network.